Are your sleep habits destroying your memory? Today, we return for our Facebook Live series to talk to neurologist Dr. Dale Bredesen. He'll answer our questions live about a topic I'm sure many of you can relate to, getting enough quality sleep. It's a continuation of our seven-part series discussing the Bredesen 7, key lifestyle habits that support brain health. This time, we'll focus on the importance of sleep when it comes to protecting our brain health and memory as we age. So let's give a warm welcome back to Dr. Dale Bredesen. For those of you tuning in for the first time to our Facebook Live series, Dr. Bredesen is a leading neurologist who has worked with thousands of patients for over three decades. He is the author of over 220 research papers, as well as two New York Times bestsellers, including The End of Alzheimer's. Currently, he is a professor at UCLA. Welcome back, Dr. Bredesen, and thank you for joining us again. Thanks, Nikki. Great to talk to you. Absolutely. So I'd like to kick off our conversation about the connection between sleep and brain health with a general overview and Let's start out with, can you explain what makes sleep so important when it comes to brain health and memory, and what role does healthy sleep play in cognitive performance? Yeah, you know, this is a great point. We're finding out as we study people who have cognitive decline that there are critical things, what you eat, for example, as we've talked about before, whether you have exercise and the things that are actually helping you, things like get into ketosis and things like that. And sleep is a huge issue. It's really a field unto itself. You could spend many years studying sleep. And of course, there's a wonderful book out by Professor Matthew Walker, who has devoted his entire career to the study of sleep. Uh, and uh, and from over from uh, UC Berkeley, has published a, a wonderful book called Why We Sleep. And of course, there's also a wonderful book on sleep by uh, Ariana Huffington. So this is a huge area. What does it do for you? Well, first of all, it is a time of cleansing. And in fact, that's even been shown anatomically. So literally the anatomy, the cellular anatomy of your brain changes slightly and you literally slough out the, uh, the abnormal proteins and, and abnormal uh, changes occurring in the brain through what's called the glymphatic system as you sleep. The second thing is you do something which is called, uh, which is called autophagy. When you go for periods without eating, you kick into using essentially a, an approach uh, for fasting. And so, of course, that happens during your hours of sleep and you get some autophagy. Again, cellular cleansing, uh, very, very helpful. And then, of course, going in and out of REM. Uh, this is rapid eye movement sleep. This is critical for memory consolidation. So you're actually making your memory stronger. In fact, there's some beautiful studies showing that, that with uh, animals learning, for example, they're literally going through the program as they're going through the dreams. So when you're going through your dreams, you know, you're literally going through programs to strengthen the memories in your brain. And in fact, if you haven't had enough sleep, and I think all of us have seen this, when you haven't had enough sleep, you're not as sharp as usual. And in fact, you don't make memories and store memories as well as usual. And in fact, you can be irritable and things like that. So many, many different things. And most of us don't really know the right way to get optimal sleep. And then we, you know, it tends to be a, a badge of honor. You know, I was up all night finishing that assignment, that sort of thing, as if that's a good thing. But unfortunately, that is very bad for your brain 
And keeping optimal brain health includes absolutely optimal sleep and sleep hygiene. Fantastic. Um, and you mentioned the autophagy, and I, I wonder if that's why um, the intermittent fasting is such a big thing now, because the longer we go without those, those eating patterns, patterns, we start breaking down those unhelpful or, like you said, you know, damaged cells in the body. Absolutely. And there was an experiment a few years ago that I thought was very telling, um, taking uh, fruit flies and just preventing them essentially from replacing their mitochondria. And of course, replacing damaged mitochondria is part of autophagy. It's a part called mitophagy because of the mitochondria. Just doing that the fruit flies develop something that looks very similar to Parkinson's. So we want to have that rejuvenation. You know, sleep is a rejuvenation. You're basically saying, okay, stop what you're doing. Let's clean things up. And then you'll have a great day again tomorrow. And then, of course, not enough of us use it for that purpose. Yeah, that's so interesting. I would love to see that study at some point. Um, so I'm curious, how does unhealthy sleep habits contribute to cognitive decline and are there any unhealthy sleep patterns that could possibly indicate potential future brain health concerns? Yeah, of course, uh, it's been shown that poorer sleep actually uh, leads to more accumulation of the amyloid that we associate with Alzheimer's disease. So critical there. And in fact, there is a vicious circle because as you begin to get the cognitive decline, it actually damages your sleep patterns as well. So this is a huge issue that you know, sleep reinforces uh, optimal brain function and abnormal sleep reinforces poor brain function, which then reinforces poor sleep and unfortunately just goes right around. And while we're on this topic, I should mention another important association. There's an important thing called REM behavioral disturbance. So when, when you go to sleep at night, you should try to get seven to eight hours of good sleep. Early in the evening, you get more of the deep sleep, which is critical. So you should get about an hour or more of deep sleep, and then you should get about an hour and a half or more of REM sleep, which is when you're dreaming. And that tends to come later. So you tend to do some core sleep, deep sleep, core sleep, REM sleep, and then you wake up in the morning. And you could actually track this very easily. I know you track yours with an aura ring. I track mine with my Apple Watch. And just to show you, for example, last night here, so last night, you can see here, um, I did not quite get enough sleep, six hours and 32 minutes. But you can see here, I got my deep sleep in just about an hour, uh, which is what I target for, 57 minutes early in the evening. And then you can see here the core sleep. There's the blue. And then you can see here the REM sleep, where, where I got about, let's see, REM sleep, I got an hour and eight minutes. I try to get an hour and a half, which is a little, you know, a little better. So I didn't quite make it last night but not too far off. And most nights I try to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Now, some people, it's not terribly common, but it's important to know if you have this REM behavioral disturbance, and it may be you know one out of 100 people or two out of 100 people, that sort of thing. What'll happen is when you have the REM sleep, when you have this time where you should be completely, uh, completely unmoving, uh, completely immobile, you're actually now flinging your arms. So what happens in your brain? Your brain stem actually unhooks your movements from your dreams to allow you to dream. And those few people that have some damage in the brain stem will actually not unhook that perfectly. So now as you start to dream, you're flinging your arms and often even hurting your partner. 
that is something that tells you you are at higher risk for Parkinson's disease and Lewy body disease. So important to know because, again, get into some detox, go see your physician, get into prevention if you have REM behavioral disturbance. So again, there's so much about sleep that can really be helpful to us. That is one of the best little nuggets of information that I've heard is, is seeing those early signs of Parkinson's. And, you know, if your partner recognizes that you're moving around in the bed, that could be a sign of something um, more severe. And so thank you for bringing that up. As you kind of talked about your numbers, I thought it would be fun. So I have the aura ring, like you mentioned, yeah. last night, seven hours and 18 minutes, which, you know, it varies right. seven, eight, nine hours. Um and as far as deep sleep, 39 minutes, light sleep, five hours and 20 minutes, REM, an hour, and I was awake, one hour and 21 minutes, which that was the most fascinating thing to me. I yeah. assumed once you got into bed, okay, it might take 20 minutes to fall asleep. And then when you wake up, I would just calculate that time of when I fell asleep to when I wake up. When I got this ring, I noticed that's not the case at all. There's... Right. so many pockets that you are awake throughout the night. And so it's just been a really fascinating journey to, to track all that stuff. So I'm glad you, you brought up a really important point. Many of us have rumination. And so for those of us who are waking up in the middle of the night and just ruminating, this is a common thing. Oh, they're worried about this. And oh my gosh, did I do this right? And oh my gosh, I'm worried about what's coming up tomorrow. Something that actually is very good for rumination is some L-tryptophan. Uh, and so a lot of people will use some L-tryptophan. And by the way, uh, I did uh, I did use Sleep Now last night, and I use it uh, frequently. Um, it's been actually nice. So I checked my my sleep patterns before and after. Um, did help me to get more uh, deep sleep and more REM sleep. So I really have appreciated that. Uh, so yeah, it, it, very very helpful. And so for many of us, uh, you know, who especially those of us who are over thirty five or forty. Uh, or in my case, way, way over that, um, you know, you want to think about, do we have enough melatonin? Um, and can you relax enough and get get enough, you know, good quality sleep? So I, I think that that's, for me, at least been been very helpful. Uh, and again, for those who are ruminating, think about some L-tryptophan. Uh, people typically use 500 milligrams of, of, of L-tryptophan as an over-the-counter, you know, easy and inexpensive to get. So something to think about. But again, rumination, another one of the critical pieces of sleep. And then, of course, another one is sleep hygiene. For many of us, and I'm guilty of this, doing my emails right up to the point of going to bed, that's not the way it should go. You want to kind of slow down late in the evening, give yourself some time, make sure that you don't have light on, make sure that it's nice and dark, make sure that it's nice and quiet. Always notice this if you go traveling, uh, if you go to, for example, New York City, uh, you hear crashing and booming with you know, picking up trash and all this stuff all night long. Uh, so you want to have it quiet. You want to have it uh, dark. Um, and you want to have it that you that you calm down, get that Wi-Fi off, get that phone off, get that computer off, all of that stuff uh, at night, and really allow yourself to move slowly into a very deep sleep. And again, the deep sleep is the time for detox. So for those of us who are concerned about toxins, we need extra deep sleep. And the way to get more deep sleep is to go a little early. In general, deep sleep occurs more if you go to bed early um, and less. If you go to bed at uh, 1 or 2 a.m., you tend to get less deep sleep. 
Uh, if you go to bed at uh, 9.30 or 10.30 or 11, you're going to get a little more deep sleep typically, whereas the REM, as we talked about earlier, um, tends to be more uh, in the morning hours. So again, you can adjust this. You can do all these things to make your sleep optimal, to give yourself optimal brain performance. Yeah, and I think that's something that, I mean, I know for myself that, you know, I was like, okay, if I have eight hours or nine hours, doesn't matter what time I fall asleep, I'm still getting that good quality sleep. But I started noticing over the years, mm -hmm. if I went to bed earlier, I woke up so much more refreshed. That makes perfect right. sense that I'm getting longer amounts of that deep sleep. So that's a great thing to mention. And one other thing too, and, um, you know, turning out the lights and the noise, but I've also found that making the temperature of the room cooler has been something yes. that's been really helpful as well. So glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's another thing. Many of us just too warm at night when we're sleeping. So having a cool temperature of the room, you know, not so cold that you can't sleep because you're freezing to death, but cool. <laughs> Uh, that your body temperature does cool a little bit while you sleep, and that actually supports optimal sleep. So again, so much sleep, as I said earlier, it's a field unto itself, and it's something that most of us are doing suboptimally and can be so helpful to us. Um, and then, of course, getting our circadians right, getting it so that you get into that good circadian rhythm. And the way to do that, get out early in the morning and get some sun in your eyes, get out late in the afternoon, make it so that it's now... Uh, more, uh, you know, you get the red rays a little bit, and now it's really helping you to set that. When you travel, same idea, you want to go so that you reset your circadians appropriately. So again, this is something that it can be so helpful to get your circadians doing so that you're getting that good sleep and you're getting that deep sleep early in the evening and getting able to get to sleep more easily. And then, as you said, you rise feeling great in the morning. Fantastic. Um, now, what are some of the common things people might be missing in their sleep routine? Yeah, so the, the common ones are that they have poor sleep hygiene, they're working right up to, to bedtime, they're under a lot of stress, and they don't try to get rid of that stress. So try to de-stress. You may have some stress during the day. Okay, that's okay. It's unavoidable. But do some deep breathing. I always check my heart rate variability. Um, and it's striking. I mean, you can see changes where you'll go from, you know, you're under stress and it might be 20. Um, you do a deep breathing for a minute and now you check it and it's 120. I mean, just huge changes. And then you can see when you wake up in the morning, it'll often be very high. And then as you start to get under stress, you can, it'll, you'll see it go down. So, so get, you know, get the stress down to try to relax, you know, and look forward to the sleep as enjoying it. So many of us, it's like, oh my gosh. I really, I don't want to sleep. I still got 10 more things on my list to do. Uh, so try to de-stress, try to have the good sleep hygiene, getting ready. Some people like, you know, lavender sheets. Some people like, you know, different types of sheets, whatever you like to do. Um, play a little soft music if you like to do that. And uh, my, my wife loves uh, something called uh, Nothing Much Happens, which is a great set of stories um, and they just like read these stories very quietly and stories in which literally nothing much happens. <laughs> Great for falling asleep. Uh, and so I, I recommend that one for anyone who's having trouble falling asleep. You know, find out if you if you do better with a little melatonin or not. If you're doing a lot of ruminating, again, a common problem. Think about some L-tryptophan. Uh, then make sure that in the morning, um, 
when when the sun comes up, if you want to get up with the sun, that's great. If you're going to bed and getting up with the sun, fantastic. But for so many of us, we're not going to be getting up right as the sun you know, first starts to come up. So, okay, then you want to have a blindfold so that you're nice and dark and you keep that darkness until you're ready to get up. So again, so many of us will, it'll, it'll interrupt. And it's interesting um, for many people, of course, they're going to get up a time or two at night to empty their bladder, for example. Turns out that there are a couple ways to improve that. One, just getting better sleep. The sleep itself, which was the surprise, the sleep itself can improve the likelihood and you can go the whole night without a problem. Another way is my, just some mild anti-inflammatory, uh, some minimal anti-inflammatory, because it turns out that a lot of this is actually an inflammatory stimulation. Mm -hmm. So that, again, helps so many people um, not to have to worry about getting up in the night and, and hurting your, your sleep. So again, so many things that we can do to optimize things. And then, you know, make sure that you're not going to have people disturbing you. The phone's not going to ring uh, at 530 in the morning, that sort of thing. And that you'll be ready to, you know, to get up when you want to. Of course, we were made in general to fall asleep as the sun goes down and wake up as the sun comes up. But that with the way we all live now, so few people are doing that. And unfortunately, many of us are staying up half the night trying to finish something, um, grabbing a couple of hours here when we can. And in the long run, that's really hurting us. That's hurting our not only our immediate performance, as we talked about earlier, but our long-term long risk for significant decline. And once you're doing that, again, you've got this vicious circle where you're making your brain less healthy, which is in turn making you sleep less well. Now with the wearables, we can really track that and catch early changes. So many like pieces of um, really good, valuable advice there. And, you know, the inflammation, that's a huge part. And I take Inflamex from Life Seasons every evening because the ingredients are phenomenal, but it makes so much sense to kind of ease that inflammation in the body so that I can sleep longer. And I think one thing, you know, if you're listening to this, you might be somewhat of like, you love information and learning how to, you know, increase your performance in all aspects of life. Think of that sleep as a game. Like the more good quality sleep you get, the more you can detoxify the body. And so that's been a shift that I've used and it's really played a crucial role in the quality of my sleep. And, you know, you mention all these different fascinating things of, you know, decreasing the electronic devices, getting up early in the morning. I mean, there's so many helpful pieces. I mean, I have my blue blocking glasses, you know, it's a slight, it's not quite as orange, but it can block those blue lights. You know, there's so many things readily available nowadays that we can use to increase our quality of sleep. So, you, you know, that's something that we had didn't talk about earlier. And you mentioned, I think that was a really important point. Um, you know, as it's you're getting into the evening, consider the blue blockers and consider you there are all sorts of programs for your iPhone or for your your mobile phone and for your computer so that you can actually turn down the red rays. So of course it turned on the blue rays. So the blue, uh, the blue of course is the, is the high energy part of the spectrum. If you look at a spectrum of light, the blue is the high energy. It's the more damaging to your retina. And it's the one that you're actually getting when you're going out in the morning, you're getting some of that to say, Hey, stay awake. As you get toward evening, you want to get more of the red and less of the blue. 
So you want to you know use a you you want to use a, um, a you know a, essentially a screen changing program that allows you to block that, or as you said, just put on some blue blockers so that you're getting fewer of those blue rays. And you, not only will your brain thank you, and you'll get better sleep, and you'll be ready to fall asleep, but by the way, um, your retina and macula will. Uh, will thank you. In fact, there are some interesting studies now in people who have age-related uh, beginning of visual decline, uh, macular, the beginning of macular degeneration, and other age-related changes in the retina. And they actually do well with some red light stimulation, mild red light stimulation. So, um, in fact, blocking those blue rays is very helpful. Yeah. And, I, you know, as the years have came, I mean, the development and transformation of these glasses, like they're stylish now. They're not something, you know, the first ones I had look like you're a construction worker. There's, there's so much stuff out there that we have the ability to increase performance that never existed before. So um, I know you kind of, you mentioned so many different abilities to improve our sleep. Is there something if, you know, somebody said, okay, I can only do two or three things, what should I prioritize? What, what would that be? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and let me add another thing we haven't talked about, which is your oxygenation at night. So what I would do is, I guess, you know, one thing that, of course, the first thing would always be seven to eight hours of good quality restorative sleep, getting to bed early in the evening. Uh, you know, if you can't do, uh, you know, 10 um, then do 11. Try not to make it 2 a.m. Um, and I know, again, I'm, I'm, gu I'm guiltier than most. Uh, so many late nights uh, with the, the, seeing patients or writing or things like that uh, or doing research or writing a paper, whatever. Um, and so trying to move that earlier. But then, as I mentioned, uh, people don't check their oxygenation enough, and it's easy to do. If you've got, as I understand, the new Aura Rings, Aura Rings will do it as well. Um, the Apple Watches will do it. I believe that now that the new Fitbits will do it as well. So you can see where your oxygenation is at night. And you don't have to have sleep apnea to drop your oxygenation, although that's one common way to do it. And it's been pointed out that about 80% of patients with sleep apnea go undiagnosed, which is horrible. And it's associated with hypertension and associated with cognitive decline, and associated with all sorts of problems. So it's something that's so important to know about. So Find out what your oxygenation is at night. Um, you want to be in that 96 to 98% range. Your oxygen should be mostly saturated. And in fact, there's a beautiful study from a few years ago showing that as your oxygenation is lower, there's a correlation with a smaller size of your hippocampus, which is critical for memory. So check your oxygenation. And I look at mine, um, and so it's typically in the and it's typically in the kind of 93 to 99 area. Um, I start worrying when people get below 92. If you're coming in at, you know, if you're getting down to 80, and I've seen people even down in the low 70s, you're really desaturating too much with your oxygen at night. And one of the ways to do it is to have a small airway and have what we call upper airway resistance syndrome. Um, and it's relatively common in people who, for example, have had teeth extractions because they've had smaller mouths, which is very common uh, for those of us who've had braces in the past, for example. Many of us had extractions. You don't always have enough airway room. You may close off as you're sleeping, which may then give you some sleep apnea, but you may also just be straining to get that. So I think if there were three things, it would be those three. 
get seven to eight hours of sleep at night, get to bed early if possible so you can get some of that deep sleep as well and make sure that your oxygenation is sufficient while you're sleeping. Again, beyond that, you can make a whole career out of looking at all the critical things for sleep, but they are so important. And I should add one more interesting uh, input here, which is that when you get poor sleep, it actually affects your immune system. And so that you, to get your immune system on the right footing, we want that to prevent COVID, we want that to prevent cognitive decline, critical to optimize your immune system, get good sleep. Yeah, and I, I checked my numbers and I'm at a 97%. So that seems like I got an A, I passed the test. For- Absolutely, so you're, you're in a great place. Great, um, I'm curious too, this came to mind, have, are you familiar with those? It's like this new fad that's coming out now. It's the sleep strips that cover your mouth so that it pushes you or forces you to breathe through your nose at night. Have you heard of those? Of course. Yeah. Now, so here's the thing. If you can breathe through your nose at night, which many people cannot, then that's great. So for those of us who are just have the, the, you know, the habit of breathing through our mouths when we should be breathing through our nose and we're able to do that, hallelujah, great. Um, you can get those and you can make sure to breathe through your nose. But for, you know, again, check your oxygenation. Make sure, always check to make sure that what you did actually did work with its intended consequence. But for those of us who've had allergies, for example, or who still have allergies, or who have exposure to, you know, other issues, or who've had, uh, you know, who've had orthodontia, et cetera, who may not be uh, breathing as well through our noses, that's simply not going to work. So then you want to actually check with your physician about whether you need to have an ENT consultation. Um, there may be, uh, so you, you know, you may have actually some clean out um, that actually may improve your ability to breathe through your nose. Again, no question, nose breathing is better. It increases your nitric oxide, helps to dilate and relax your blood vessels, helps to lower your blood pressure, um, helps to filter out uh, important particles that may be giving you problems both on the toxin side and on the infection side. So for all of these reasons, there's no question uh, nasal breathing is preferable to mouth breathing. But again, you've got to be able to do it first. Great clarification. Now, are there any sort of natural ways to support sleep, such as supplement, uh, supplementation or even eating habits? Yeah, no question. So again, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the most common things we're running into now that a lot of people are doing continuous glucose monitoring is what they're finding is as they go to sleep, they wake up in the middle of the night, they don't know why, and they look and their glucose is 45. It should not be dropping that low typically during the night. And so what happens if you have a relatively high carb diet, which is the standard American diet, you get spikes and you get troughs and they're both bad for you. The spikes are bad. They're bad for your blood vessels. They're bad for your uh, for your, uh, the, your your glycation end products. They're the ones that can give you the hemoglobin A1C starting to go up and telling you you're uh, you know now on the precipice of getting a pre-diabetes and then finally type two diabetes. So all for all those reasons, the spikes are bad for you. But then what happens, you get the crash after that. Now your body sees too high, pours out the insulin and this stuff comes crashing down and boom, you can't think as well. Um, you get your activation of your adrenaline, which is telling you, oh my gosh, I'm crashing. I got to throw on the adrenaline. Your heart's pounding, 
you wake up in the middle of the night. So what you need to do, you need to smooth those out. And the way to do that is a lower carb, higher protein and fat sort of diet. Some people will do fat bombs. Now, again, you don't want to be eating within three hours of bed. So do it you know, at dinner time or shortly thereafter. Don't mess up your sleep. But again, you want to make it so that you ease in when you're sleeping. You keep your yourself in, get yourself into some ketosis, you're in, in appropriate glucose, and you're now going to sail through the night. If you're crashing, you're probably having too high carb of a diet and you need to smooth those out. So for anyone, for anyone who's, there's a question, and really ultimately for all of us, we should try a couple of week period of continuous glucose monitoring. Then beyond that, you mentioned, you know, while you're, you know, things that can help you sleep well, we talked earlier about melatonin, um, other things like uh, some L-theanine, uh, very relaxing to people. Some people like lemon balm. That's been very nice for, for many people. Um, some people like to take their ashwagandha late in the day. Um, it can be, for, for some people, very relaxing, although other people find they don't like that so much. Um, some people will like valerian, although, again, some people really don't like valerian and don't do very well with it. So lots of things to do. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I... Uh, I've been using sleep now recently with some great results. I've been very, and again, I'm always a skeptic. So I just check it, see, is it actually making a difference that I can measure and I can see and I can feel. So I think, again, so much that we can do with our diet and with our supplementation. Exercise is another one. People who are out there trying to do exercise late at night are just ramping up their adrenaline and making it tough. So you really want to do your exercise morning and afternoon, great. If you're going to do it in the evening, as early as possible, because you don't want to get your heart rate up and doing a lot of adrenaline right before sleep. Yeah, really good pieces right there. And, you know, I've tried valerian in the past, and on its own, I didn't really see a good result, but having yeah. it in a formulation was something that was really helpful. And so recipes from Life Seasons has the lemon balm, you know, all those different ingredients in one. So that's been something that's helpful for me. And I'm glad you mentioned the CGM. And, you know, I used to have one because mine would drop to about 40 every single night. And I find the thing that was the most traumatic is I had an alarm set that when it went so low, it would wake me up. That was the most traumatic and triggering because now you hear this big alarm and your cortisol's firing and now any sort of beeping like the microwave triggered me for so long because I correlated it back to right. my blood sugar dropping. So, you know, changing that diet and that lifestyle. For me, it was I just produced too much insulin. But for most individuals, it's that high carb diet that is contributing right. to the, that nighttime hypoglycemia. So I'm glad you brought that up. And let me add magnesium. Magnesium is another one that's very nice. And we, this is why we tend to put it late in the day for things that people are taking rather than early, because for many of us, it really does relaxes you. It also brings, it can bring your heart rate down slightly, can also bring your blood pressure down, which is really nice. Uh, and so magnesium is another one. Be careful about things like Benadryl. Um, which has an anticholinergic effect. Yes, it will make you sleepy, but it also increases your risk for cognitive decline. Be careful about benzodiazepines. Yes, they will put you to sleep, things like Xanax, but they also increase your risk for cognitive decline. So there's a whole set of medications 
that will increase risk for cognitive decline. And many of them are either anticholinergics, things that will have anticholinergic effect like, like uh, Benadryl, uh, or they are things that will have uh, effects like the, the benzodiazepines. So just be careful about those because they can hurt you in the long run, even though they may help you to sleep in the short run. And just like there's, yes. And just like there's so many helpful sleeping tools, this cooling bed sheets, I I use those. There's so many helpful things out there supplementation wise. So there are a lot of things that are healthy that don't have those negative implications. So I'm glad you mentioned those, you know. And people also like cooling pads. Cooling pads is another one. You mentioned the cooling. Some people actually like to use cooling pads. Fine. You know, again, work on this because we tend to think of sleep as simple. Awake, asleep. It's just, it, you know, it's much more interesting than that and actually much more helpful. There's so many benefits you can get if you do your sleep optimally. Yeah, let's make a game out of it. Who can detox their body the most? So yes, well, Dr. Bredesen, I'm sure we could go on hours and hours and about such an interesting and important topic. And we've already learned so much. And I just like to thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge with us today. And to our followers, make sure to tune in to our upcoming Facebook Live discussions with Dr. Bredesen. Follow us on Facebook at NeuroQ for updates on when and where to watch. Thank you so much, Dr. Dale Bredesen. Great to talk to you, Nikki, as always. Likewise. To our followers, make sure to tune in to our upcoming Facebook Live discussions with Dr. Bredesen. Follow us on Facebook at NeuroQ for updates on when and where to watch. You can also catch our previous Facebook Live series discussing how to support brain health with nutrition and exercise on our Facebook page. Now, if you're interested in any of the sleep tools we mentioned in our discussion, you can check out Sheeks for cooling sheets, that's S-H-E-E-X, Aura Ring for sleep tracking, and Baxter Blue Glasses for the blue-like blocking glasses. Use the code LIFESEASONS2020 to save 20% off blue blocking glasses from Baxter Blue. Again, LIFESEASONS20. Supplementation is crucial in supporting quality, restful sleep. Sleep Now Mint Oral Strips are infused with melatonin and L-theanine so you can fall asleep and wake up feeling refreshed naturally without the grogginess. Visit neuroq.com to get Sleep Now, a natural, non-habit-forming way to support healthy sleep cycles.